You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 5 of Turning to the Mystics, where we're turning to the cloud of unknowing that was written by an anonymous author. And this is the last episode of this season before we take questions from our listeners. And in this episode, Jim and I are going to have a little coaching session where Jim's going to share with me about this practice and I'm going to give it a try. So, Jim, thank you for being here. Sure. Yes, good. Yes. That's what I thought would be helpful here is um, I'm going to speak as if I'm the author of The Cloud of Unknowing. And since in The Cloud, the author's clearly talking to a directee, someone who's been coming to him for direction. And so I want to be speaking to you as if you're that person that I, as the author of The Cloud, uh, is talking to as my directee. And I'm assuming, too, that um, as I, I listen to you as the author of The Cloud, I discern that you've come to a very kind of mysterious place in your spiritual path. That for some time you've been in the special way of the life of devotional sincerity, of Lexio Divina, consolations of God, aspirations, living the Christ-like life. I'm also assuming that from time to time you've experienced this blind stirring of love, the spirit in your inmost being. It's not a stirring of devotion and reflective consciousness, but a kind of a stirring in the hidden center of yourself where the indwelling presence of God is, and it kind of radiates out, and you can tell you're in the state of oneness with God. And that these fleeting stirrings are kind of hallowing and gracing your life. But what I also discern is you come to this singular way, that is these touches of oneness or of communion, he says, you live now at that deep solitary core of your being. That is, there's a very deep desire, having tasted it, to abide there. And because this is so mysterious, or because it's so subtle, or so elusive, the author of the cloud is saying, I'm going to suggest you a way to pray, to help establish you in a stance that offers the least resistance to that abiding. And each of these mystics offers this in his or her own way. Fourth Mansion for Teresa, Passage to a Dark Night in John of the Cross, for Guigo on the ladder, this point of this deep longing for God, the fourth throne you can't consummate. So his, this is his strategy or a way to kind of respond to this. And so this is not, say, through centering prayer where anyone can practice this. And anyone who practices it who's in the special way, they'll experience the graces of the special way as God's gifts. They'll say, I'm more patient, I'm more kind, I have more empathy, I have more, and well, they should. So the, the author of the cloud is assuming the person experiences that. They're saying, yes, all that's true, but that's not really the essence of it. Is that what I've experienced is God's come to me, not in God's gifts, but like very God has accessed me and is given to me. And I feel called in response to give myself in love to God 
who's given to me with every breath and heartbeat. So this is a way to pray that establishes that stance. And so I say to you then, the suggestions are, the guidelines are, to sit in a quiet place, to remind yourself you're in the presence of God all about you and within you, closer to you than you are to yourself, as St. Augustine says. And you're sitting there because you've experienced God accessing you in this unexplainable way with this deep communal stirring. And God is also the author of your desire to abide in it. And so with God's guidance in this quiet time with God, you're going to surrender yourself over to that stance of vulnerability to the abiding. Essentially, what, the, what I'm telling you is the author of the, to you. You sit very quietly and you recall the moment of the stirring. You don't, you're not feeling it now, see? but you remember it, that moment, whatever it was. And you know that deep down it's always there because it's constantly there. And so in your intentional consciousness, you interiorly turn towards that inner interior place that's stirred. And you lift it up and give yourself in a self-donating act of love to the infinite love of God that stirred it and stay there. As you sit there in that simple intention, because this is very subtle, really, very subtle. You'll notice thoughts arise, feelings, let them. But your gaze is fixed on the singularity of this love. As soon as you can tell that a thought or a memory or a feeling has carried you off, you establish yourself in this stance by taking a word or a phrase. And you use the word to reground you in the purity of that simple intention to give yourself in a self-donating act of love to this infinite love that's giving itself to you as your very life. And uh, you need to be patient. Uh, you need to be uh, humble. You need to be sincere. And so this is the practice. And so I would say to you in real, this is real life, I'll see you next month for a monthly session. And why don't you try this, say 30 minutes a day, and when I see you next month, you can, we'll, we'll talk about how, how it goes with you. So what you and I are going to do here symbolically, now you're, gonna, you're sitting now as a beginner, you're taking this in, and you're going to sit now in silence, say for one or two minutes. And then when you start to speak again, it's you coming back at the end of the month, you have some questions, you know, cause, but, like what happened when you did that? And then we'll go back and forth this way. We'll go in and out of it, and we'll see if this doesn't help this, the people listening in to shed light on this very, because like, it's experiential. You know, it's not a theory. And the, the, the essence isn't a method. It's what happens to you when you sit this way. That's what it's all about, the transformations that it brings about. So with, with that then, so does this sound clear? Does this sound, we'll do this? Okay, so yes, why don't we do this? You. Why don't you sit for just one or two minutes, mm -hmm. and then when you feel ready, let me know and we'll, we'll talk. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Good, good, good. <clears throat> well, 
I would like to begin by sharing the moment that I'm trying to orient myself back to, as you suggested. This is a moment, it was a big moment in my life um, that really uh, made me want to commit to a path like this. And so um, my sister-in-law went in to have what we thought was uh, minor heart surgery. It turns out her heart was in a lot worse shape than any of us realised and she ended up in ICU for three months and then uh, passed away. She had one son. They were both estranged from her husband and, and father, his father, and uh, he was about 20 at the time. It was just a very shocking, traumatic experience, hoping that she was going in to be made well. And in the end, you know, we, we lost her. And so uh, the last day and night of her life, um, through strange circumstances, it ended up that just uh, Will, her son, and me were in her hospital room. So it was late at night, just the three of us together. Um, She was unconscious, and Will and I had been chatting a little bit about his fears greatest fear had always been the thought of losing his mum because it was just the two of them. And so we chatted for a bit and then tried to sleep. And as I was lying in the hospital room between two chairs trying to sleep, listening to the sound of the machines, I started to feel a a severe pain in my heart. And um, the thoughts ran through my head, I think I'm having a heart attack. Lucky I'm in a hospital because there'll be someone here to help me. And then I had this very clear, not like a picture vision, but a a sense of a vision of Meg and God in relationship with me and uh, Meg saying to God, I'm not leaving until you've put enough love in her heart for my son. And um, I cried out to them both. I'm like, I can't take anymore and I've got enough. I really, I, like, I can't take anymore. <laughs> I was in such pain and, and I'm, I've got him. I've got him. And from that moment on, I wanted to, with my whole being, be the love that God had put in my heart and not, not like as a, as a passing through me, but to be so one with that love that all my actions and my presence to Will would be that gift. And so when I started my practice, when I started this practice that you're guiding me into, uh, each time I'm trying to sit and reestablish myself in that moment of feeling one with this love pouring into my whole being, starting with the pain in my heart, but but connecting connecting with everything. The whole room became this experience of being held in love, being having love poured into me. Being, I sit and I bring that very uh, full experience. I I have the thought, the things I said in my mind, the experience in my heart, the 
the whole tingling in my body once it, you know, as it was happening. So I, I ground myself there, tried to hand myself back over to that, to let go of everything. I used the word love. I chose the word love to help me in my distractions. So that's the context of how I started. What I noticed very quickly is I ground myself in that experience and I I have like a lot of physicality goes on. I, I feel a whole tingling and a warmth in my heart. and But very quickly I drift away from all of that. I'm thinking about something going on at work or I'm thinking about something going on with my family or I'm thinking about I lose touch, like I feel like I drift away somewhere else and it feels like over to the left or off to the right and like some part of me has drifted out of this loving kind of grounded place and I have to kind of find my way back. So I'm using the word love to do that. I get very frustrated when I sit for 30 minutes and that's happened most of the time that I've drifted away and I have to use the word love by the end, like this word love feels more like, oh my gosh. And uh, so I'll start with that. Okay, beautiful. I want to paraphrase, that's very, very good. When I've seen people in spiritual direction or psychotherapy or just my own life. I love these stories people have um, sometimes they come in moments of very a painful moment like this. Sometimes it's a blissful moment or a solitary moment. But what strikes me about it is there's, there are moments where there's a stunning deepening of presence. That's, that's the word that comes to me. It's like a vast immensity of presence. It's unexplainably over, all-pervasive. See? Mm-hmm. And we would look on that then maybe... Um, uh, Blessed John Roysberg calls it the touch. See? Mm. Another thing, way to look on it is it's being initiated, see? you know, into the way. And also notice it's self-authenticating. You know what I mean? It's beyond doubt. Mm-hmm. And also notice in that moment you weren't thinking. That is, you weren't figuring out anything. You weren't trying to attain anything. You were just momentarily beyond all that. That's the first thing. The second thing is this is then you would know deep down that in that moment that nothing more was given to you, but you momentarily experience the way every moment is. Mm. Every beat of your heart, every breath is this way. Every, you got a little taste of the divinity, the fleetingness of every moment, like that you were initiated into the divinity of, of that. Next, you then notice that there's this moment that happened and then knowing there's the desire to abide there, you say, wow, this would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Having been there, I see how shallow my day-by-day preoccupations are compared to that moment. And therefore, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could live there? See, what if I could stay there as the depth out of which I would live every moment? Mm-hmm. And it isn't like something curious or something, I think I'll try it. <laughs> but, but it's a very deep thing you can't explain, mm. but it kind of tugs at your heart. It's a kind of a thing. And uh, Thomas Burns said to me once in Spiritual Direction, he said, once in a while, you know, you'll find someone with whom to talk about such things. They're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Like and so really, 
when you come to the author of the cloud, to the teacher, and you share this, the teacher right away knows what you're talking about. Because not only have they experienced it, but they're established in it. Mm. Because that's what he says in the foreword. I don't say the continually experience is stirring as experienced contemplatives do, implying that it is possible, that your heart has not deceived you. This longing is a gift. And so we say, well, this is really special. You know, this, you're really in a, an amazing place. So I give the guidelines for the practice, and you're, you're, you can hardly wait to get home to get started. <laughs> you know, you light your candle and bow and gargle holy water, whatever you do. And uh, uh, you get started, and you're so sincere. And at the end of the 30 minutes, minute and a half, you're off, off here, <laughs> off there, off here. And uh, the next day, same thing, same thing, same thing. So you come back a month later and you say, you know, I tried it every day, but I, I'm discouraged see, mm-hmm. by it. And so then the author of The Cloud says, it's only discouraging if you're assuming that progress is dependent on your ability to do this. But what if you can't do this? What if God's achieving it in you, like when you were lying there when she was in bed dying? You didn't achieve that. Mm-hmm. See? And therefore, it's actually passing beyond your ability for your efforts to achieve it. Because those are also the gifts of God. But God is calling you. And so what you do is you accept your inability to do it. But you hold fast to the sincerity see? to give yourself in this love that's infinitely in love with you and your inability to do it. That's really the key. To this mm. really, see, that you're, God's infinitely in love with you and your inability to do it. And you're kind of met there as a powerlessness deeply accepted as the gate of heaven. And that's the unexpected nearness in this. So does, does that make sense, what I'm saying here? Does that resonate? or? It does. W- would that help with that sense of a rising frustration that happens? Like when I'm like for the... 10th time like dragging myself back from thinking about the grocery shopping or and I'm I actually feel like a, a frustration arise in my myself what what do I do with that yeah well first of all I think up to a point the frustration is normal because mm. you're sitting there with very sincere wanting to do a very simple thing that matters Mm-hmm. And every ten and a half seconds, you're in the grocery list or the phone call, or you know, I mean, really. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but what it does, another way to look at it, it's making you more consciously aware of how unaware you tend to be. Mm-hmm. We're always wandering around, but we're unaware of how our mind wanders around. T.S. Eliot says somewhere, "I was distracted from the distraction by a distraction." <laughs> we, we, we're distracted. We don't even know we're distracted. But to have this taste is the undistracted mind. But having tasted it, so what you do is you know that every time you renew the effort, you take your word. Mm-hmm. You're really regrounding you and God sustaining you in the midst of your distraction because God's never distracted. See? Mm. God's stabilized in you as God's beloved like this, and God finds no obstacle in your distracted mind. And this could take a while. It isn't like, you know, I tried it for a week and nothing happened. I think I'll watch television, or I think I, I don't think I can do this. If, if you feel called to do it, 
like the fruits that are, are very subtle. You have to discern it. You stay with it. And a month later, two months later, six months later, three years later, you're in a qualitatively different place mm. that you couldn't have imagined when you started. Yeah. But it's so subtle, see, this kind of strange communion. And that's the qualitative feel of the way. I have another question. Uh, when I start the practice and I'm tapping into that heartfelt connection and and longing to be back there, I do kind of situate myself back in the room. You know, there's, there's a surrounding where it began and I, I, I situate myself back there and, you know, let the memories come a little bit. When I'm in the practice and I'm using the word, is it helpful to do that again, like let the memory arise and kind of put myself back in the space that I, I felt when it started the yeah, first time. Yes, very good. Well, I want to say this back. This is very mm -hmm. good. Let's say there was a moment where you're, you were in that room where this happened to you. Mm -hmm. We would say spiritually, since God came to you in that moment, and since God never forgets, God remembers you in that moment, that mm -hmm. specific moment. So, so in a way, the room you're sitting in when you meditate is that room. Mm. So if it helps to visualize that that way, you go back to the place. So the interiority of the room you're really in is the interiority of the room where the awakening occurred. And so now you're sitting there uh, that way. See? But, uh, whatever helps kind of stabilize in this delicacy. Little by little by little, then you, that, the need to do that falls away. Because mm. you can open your eyes, the configuration of the furniture of the room is infinite in all directions. You know, standing up and sitting down is the way. So whatever helps to ground ourselves. Sometimes we need a holy place to ground us in the holiness of every place. We need a holy moment, you know, the holiness of every moment. So you go back to that grounding place. But notice that God, that, that moment in that room is this moment in this room. And... uh you, you, it's like that. That's beautiful. And another question, there was a number of days in the month where I had very, very uncomfortable physical sensations and they didn't feel connected necessarily to thoughts or, but just being in this way much more present in my body, I, I had, and not like a sports injury type sensation, but like if I were to describe it, maybe like a real tense anxiety in my stomach or a, a tight anxiety in my chest. Yeah, so so that was surprising. Do you have any help with that? I do, I do. Let's say something that at the psychological level, what we're doing in this practice is letting go of our defenses. Mm. Our defenses is our customary patterns of conscious thinking our schedule, our preoccupations. Our kind of, but notice in this unguarded, love-alone sincerity, grounded in the Word, see, all the customary configurations that guide you in your sense of who you think you are through the day, they fall away. And what starts to happen is that layers of internalized suffering, sometimes there's somaticized in the body, sometimes it's a... It's a it's a hidden memory of a past trauma or a loss or an immense sadness. All that can come welling up to the surface. See? 
And um, typically, I think what happens in the practice itself, you would notice it. You'd be aware of it. You would stay with the practice. But later, after the practice, you would journal about it or process it. Because as each layer comes up, it's another layer waiting to be healed. See, mm. how can you be present to that, to touch it with love so that it might dissolve in love? If sometimes it too much comes up all at once and it's overwhelming, you should back off. Because safety first. Sometimes I've led intensive silent meditation retreats where people are all sitting together in silence. And someone will start crying, they can't stop crying. And here maybe a year earlier, their spouse died. They didn't process the grieving or a child mm. died. And in the unguarded silence, all this starts coming out like this. And so it, it's a willingness really for every all the hurt to come out into the open so grace can touch it. But you're always putting safety first that you don't get in touch with too much at once. Mm. You're always pacing it. So this is experiential self-knowledge. It's like... Uh, bringing all the brokenness of oneself that needs to come out in a pace so that it can be transformed in this love, experientially, not just theoretically. If you think you need to talk somebody, you would. If you okay. think you need therapy, you'd go get therapy for it. Mm -hmm. Post-traumatic stress disorder, repressed memory, whatever. So it's, it's, it's part of the grace of it. It's not a glide path into heaven. Right. You know I mean? It's not an effortless thing at all. It's letting all the layers of yourself come out and be transformed into the love of God, sustaining you like this. That's surprising to hear because in the moment that I try and go back to, I felt so whole and so complete and so, but what you're saying is that <laughs> that didn't just heal everything all, all in that one go. So going back to that, because I did feel very, I wouldn't even say the word vulnerable, just I guess open, open would be the word. I just felt opened up and completely open. So when I try and recreate that in my sit, I, I hear what you're saying is that openness now, I might see things I hadn't seen completely or things that I haven't healed. Or You want to share something else? I think it's significant. What's interesting about this moment you described, she's in the bed unconscious, uh, your nephew, was he, was he there too? Well, right next to She was on my right yeah, and, and he was and on it my was left. In, it was in the dark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was an immensely sad moment. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, she's going to die mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. What's so stunning about the moment is how immensely sad it was in a luminosity that transcended and permeated the sadness. Mm. That even in the midst of sadness, the divinity that transcended it and permeates it came welling up and touched you. That's what's kind of, does that, does that make yes. sense? Oh, yeah. That's what's striking yeah. about it. And so uh, what often happens, though, with us is, is that in the day-by-day, -day, the overriding habits of frustration and so on, they tend to close off experiential access to that depth. They tend to take over. And so what we're really doing is practicing staying vulnerable in the vulnerable place long enough for the divinity to come shining out through Mm. I, I don't know if I shared this before in this series, but uh, what strikes me is that there's a, I heard once, I forget where I heard this, that there, there's a Hindu practice of counting your breath up to 10 uh, for an hour every morning. And there's a yogi in the city where you live who leads a discussion group every morning at 6 in the morning. 
So very devoted people before work, they gather together to do this practice. And so the, the teacher explains the practice. And so you just sit very quietly and you inhale real deep and slow. And you hold it for just a second and you exhale real, real, real slow. You inhale real, real, say one. Ex inhale real slow, exhale two, inhale three, to 10. And you go to 10 until you have the least distracting thought. You have to go back to one. Mm. And so the person rings the bell, everybody bows. It's your first time. And you're sitting there like that. And at the end of the hour, he, he says, any questions? You raise your hand and say, yes, I didn't get very far. He said, there's no rush. We're going to do this every day until we die. There's mm. no rush. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. See, And so you come back the next morning, a little bit just daunting. And you start, and the whole room is sitting there this way, like this. And you sit there with all your heart. Five years later, halfway through the practice, and you didn't see this coming, you get to two. <laughs> you get so excited about it, you got to go back to one. <laughs> see, and here's the thing. All things are possible for the one who goes back to one, because one is a hair's breadth from zero. And zero is the infinite poverty of God poured out and giving and taking us to herself in the midst of our powerlessness. As long as we think we're trying to achieve something, I don't mm -hmm. know if I'll make it, I don't know if I'll make it. So somehow we have to be brought to the end of that very gently mm. so that the love that shines through and gives itself to that in our powerlessness, which is really foreshadowing the very moment of our death, that his mm -hmm. mother's death, your, her death. God inhaled and took this infinite love took her home yeah and so we're trying to experience that now in our mm -hmm. breath if that makes sense poetically to me yes that story um raises one of my other questions uh when i go back to that memory and and open myself to that stance i mean i feel feel different than when i'm you know, sitting at my computer doing my work, I feel more grounded. I feel more present. I feel, but it's not the same. You know, it's not that. It's still. It's missing something, and so I did did find. You know, after trying this practice for a while, like God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? You know, the the memory of that experience is not the same as that experience, and I just have this deep longing for God to show up, um, yeah, to, to have what was at the heart of that, that experience, which, like you said, I, I can't create in, with my memories or with, with my visions or with the way I'm breathing or grounding myself. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I want to say it back first. We've, we've had this moment, and we're committing ourselves to the practice, and uh, in fidelity to the practice, even throughout the day, we can notice there's more kind of an affinity with that. Mm -hmm. There's more of a resonance with it or a sensitivity to it. And, uh, but it's not the same, see? It's like an obscure echo of it. Does that make sense in a way? Yes, That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the response is, yes, of course. So let's say this, the insight would be that you're on a path not of your own making, and you know that this infinite love of God isn't measured by the depth to which you experience it. See, For the infinite 
depth of God is giving itself to you in each incremental taste of it. So even the subtlest awareness of it mm. is the presence of God as that okay. level of awareness. And here's the next thing about it. The next moment the fullness comes, you won't do it. It'll wash over you, see? Like in the middle of the night, like in a quickening, like that. And that's what it's, if that makes sense in a way, yeah. see? Yeah. And that, that's the whole point. That's what makes it mystical. We passively receive God coming to us, not as God's gifts, but God coming to us as God, see? Divinizing us unexplainably like this. Now, what happens over time, everyone's, this is so unique for each person, see? It is little by little, those, those unexpected uh, resurgence of that primal divinity that comes unexpectedly. Over time, as they come along, you learn not to be so surprised by them. And also, you start to notice that somehow, uh, sitting at the computer and looking out the window is itself overwhelmingly divine. There's, an, there's like an habituated state see, where there's less and less distinction between the full-bone experiential divinization see, and you realize the divinity of um, the, the least moment. Again, I think moment of falling in love with the birth of a child or the death of a loved one or the midst of a thunder, there are certain moments. But once we're on this path, we get more and more sensitized to becoming ever more habituated. So when he says, it's not, the stirring isn't all as experienced contemplatives do. So there's an, it's possible to live in an habituated state mm -hmm. of the divinization of the ordinariness of the moment as an underlying awareness. And the author of the clouds, one of those people. And I think that's why when I was with Thomas Merton at Gethsemane too, I think that you, you sit with the teacher and when you're in the presence of such a person, like you know your heart has not deceived you because you discern you're in the presence of someone in whom has been realized. See? And the point is, you sit with the teacher, so what obviously happened to the teacher might happen to you. See, mm -hmm. I want to stay close by so it happened to you. As it does occur in sincerity, it happens, you're blindsided by it. See. Mm -hmm. By, by the way, I also think in these traditions, the recognition of the teacher as teacher, the teacher knows you recognize the teacher as teacher only because you already know it. Because if you didn't already know it, you wouldn't recognize the teacher. Mm. The teacher also knows it's completely true of you as well. Everything is true of the teacher is true of you. The teacher also knows uh, you wouldn't believe the teacher if they told you that. And so, because teachers don't argue, they temporarily accept your recognition of the teacher. See, until you realize the teacher is just a well-seasoned student of being divinized by this love. You know, that's one mm -hmm. way I see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the last thing I wanted to tell you is that um, I feel very committed to the practice. I feel like. This is a practice for me because in the moment that it happened following, in the following moment after I had that moment, because in that moment I wasn't really thinking or I was just, yeah. But in the following moments I prayed to God to help me be true to what was given to me to give to Will. And I don't know what else I can do apart from sit like this to be true to that 
And so I feel like I've made a commitment to show up every day as my commitment to be a flow of love to Will, that he will know the love of his mother that was the love of God and uh, that I will try and open myself to be a vehicle for that as best I can. And so I do feel like when I sit this way every day, um, it does, to use your words, concretize that desire, that commitment. And uh, so I, I do feel this is the practice for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to respond to that. That's important, I think. The thing about this path is it's always universally personal. And it's personal uh, in some unexplainable deep way. So in that moment, it, you know that you're called to be there for Will as much as, you know, you're mm-hmm. called to mother this kind of, the divine motherhood of God as a call. And the prayer embodies that. Mm-hmm. And, and the same with me, this early onset severe trauma that I went through. Uh, I know that in my prayer in the monastery, the, the prayer kind of embodied that. And then later when I left and became a psychotherapist, you know, I'd sit with trauma all day long. And I really felt that my what I was in silence in the morning and sitting with suffering people all day long was my way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had to be true. You know what I mean? You just have to be true to your way. And um, that's a very deep thing, really. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a very depth of the path of your own unfolding life. And that's where it rings the truest. Yeah. That's why the cloud also says at the end, if the, if this isn't free, but sometimes, by the way, this way can involve great struggle. You know, you're struggling very hard, but you still feel called to do it. It goes in waves. Yeah. He said, but sometimes it's not for you. You know, then don't do it. Because holiness is, God's presence is all pervasively everywhere. You know, where it's for you in that broader sense of the gifts of God that is helping you be more this, more this, more this, mm-hmm. more this. So never try to force it like mystical union or bust, kind of, you know, you're going to mm-hmm. make it happen. You're always just being true to your heart and following it along and like that, yeah. The last question I have then is based on that, what you've just said. There are times when I go in the opposite direction of love with will, uh, where I notice I've done something selfish or, you know, trying to get a need of mine served or not listening well or, and um, I don't know, I just, I, <laughs> I hoped this practice might have more of a direct correlation, but I do notice and find it difficult when I behave in ways that aren't loving. And I just wonder how I'd relate that back to this practice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, well, first of all, we should always try to be more loving and start all over again. Mm-hmm. Thomas Brent once said in the monastery, he said, we should always meditate on discouragement after a fall. You know, when we do something that was unkind mm-hmm. or unloving or judgmental or uh, mm-hmm. um, Because what discouragement reveals is the secret agenda of a holy you. <laughs> in other words, you know how you or you or you could do something like this, but yeah. me? <laughs> and so really, like St. Benedict says in the role, what do you monks do in the monastery all day? He said, fall down and get up, fall down and get up, fall down and get up. So every fall is a reminder that we're caught by God in the fall. 
and we're infinitely loved by God in the brokenness of ourself deeply accepted, which is salvation. See? So there is the moral imperative, we should always keep trying like this. Mm -hmm. But the deeper lesson is the moments when we slip sometimes they're more important or more meaningful than when we don't. And because we're always being touched by the, how God's merciful love sustains us and guides us. And over the years, we can't see where we have grown. If we look back to where we were back, you know, we're not as crazy as we used to be or as reactive as we used to be. It isn't as if nothing's happening. But uh, you'll be on your deathbed. So you're trying to, it isn't going to, you hope you get there you're going to die right. You know, I mean, you're going to... So right at the very end, you're going to be an infinitely love-broken person being taken by God in death, trying to be sensitized to that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That idea of looking back, you know, and seeing maybe the ways that I've changed or been supported by the practice, I do feel like when that... On either side of that moment, like I can't even remember who I was before that moment happened. There's something so significant that shifted that I can ground myself back in that moment. It's hard to ground myself back in who I was prior to that moment, yes. if that makes sense. It really does. I think this is an insight into reincarnation, you know, that maybe the purification of love till there's nothing left but love might not end with biological death. It's a Catholic insight of purgatory. And I think also in our lifetime, we can see reincarnations. We can remember back to the way we used to be. And there's some qualitatively sense we're no longer that anymore. Or the yeah. image that I use is imagine you, you're up in the attic going through things and you come across a journal you wrote 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And you even forgot you wrote it. Yeah. And you sit down and you start to read the things you worried about, the things you thought about. And what's interesting about it, if the you that wrote that journal could see the you that's reading it now, she'd faint. <laughs> and yet we labor under the illusion we're, t we're finally figuring it out see? Mm. and I think these are uh, rehearsals for death I think when we die <laughs> so there's this constant unfolding sometimes people would say to me in therapy they'll be in the midst of their trauma therapy like several years into it let's say and they'll say I wish this didn't take so long I'll say yes I know but I'll say you know something if we would have video recorded your first session here three years ago and play it, and we could watch it together. Look how far you've come. Mm -hmm. That woman or that man who sat there and said that, they, were, they had no awareness at all of where you are right now. It's important to see that, because the changes are incremental. We don't see them. But it's nice to see the arc, and uh, that God's not done with us yet. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's all I had to share today. Good. See you next month. <laughs> Keep on, you're doing great, and uh, it's a gift. Blessings. Oh, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, I hope the students or the listeners um, find this helpful. I yeah. do too, I do too. I just finished this dialogue with Kirsten, and uh, we were having a, a few little comments afterwards, and I, I, I observed something that she thought would be good for me to add. As a clarification, so I'd, I'd like to do this now as an afterthought. Um, and that is that in this session, this, where I was, it's kind of contrived in a way, where uh, she was coming to me as a beginner. And um, in real life, she'd be coming back to me once a month for spiritual direction. 
So just to know that in a sense, this was very condensed and content-driven. In other words, the things we went over in one hour, so if you were seeing me in spiritual direction or anybody in this, I, I'm, are things we might explore over a period of 10 sessions, you know, or 30 sessions. So this was very thematically driven. And it isn't as if in a single session of spiritual direction, all these things would come up at once because each one would require a dialogue or sitting with it and it would have connotations and connotations for you. So we were t touching on core themes that tend to occur in this practice. So I think it's important to, um, an important thought about it. So that's the insight actually. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.